Well, if you haven't picked up on it already, uh, for the past month, maybe five weeks or so, we've been talking a lot about peace at Grace Church. We've been talking about peace in general, but then also how it connects with Christmas in particular. And it's been fascinating. I've been just thinking about, studying a lot about, reading a lot about, speaking a lot about peace. Um, that there are certain topics as a pastor uh, that you're going to talk about in church where you kind of know that outside of church, no one really cares. But then there are topics that as you begin to talk to people and kind of uh, observe that everyone talks about and everyone cares about. And I have found without hesitation that peace is one of those things that everybody cares about. The religious care about peace. The non-religious care about peace, that growing kind of middle ground that's becoming more and more popular. The spiritual but not religious, they care a lot about peace. And so however you even define yourself here tonight, whether you want to be here or you're forced to be here, or we're probably all across the map, you probably on some level care about peace. And the reason is because there is a universal need for it and it really is not debatable that we see and we experience that and we sometimes can't articulate the words that when we're when we're um, uh, confronted with something but there's something in us that churns that we just want something to be more at peace so um, however you consume the media rather if you're on social media if you're still watching the six o'clock news if you're still one of the 13 people opening a newspaper um, whatever it is um, there's something in you even as you see the headlines of the day where there's just oh my goodness a desire for things to become more peaceful we think about later tonight, tomorrow, we're around the table with family and friends. And oftentimes, in most families, there are some strain and some tensions. And there's like, as you look around the table, there's just a desire, a stirring, a need for peace in our families. And then, for sure, what we can all attest to is that desire we have when we're laying in bed at night and we can't fall asleep... And our mind is racing, we can't turn our brain off, and it's in those moments, something's happening where we're just craving peace, a peace of mind. And I think when it comes down to it, it's peace, which is the foundational motivation to everything we do, pretty much. Not the only motivation, everything we do has multiple layers of motivations for sure, but foundationally, I think a desire for peace is beneath all of it. So just consider this with me with a few kind of lesser important things. Um, we're coming upon January and everyone's joining a gym in January, right? Like you're getting your budget ready, you're like I'm going into that gym, we're making it happen. Why do people go to the gym? Why do people work out? Well, a lot of motivations. They want to get the beach body for that vacation in 2020 in the summer that you got planned. Maybe you want to post every workout you do on social media so people see how fit you are. If you feel personally attacked, I'm sorry, just saying. Um, but, but beneath that foundational motivation to working out, to exercise, to being healthy is what? You want your body to be at peace. You, you want to limit the chaos that bodies can get into if they're not healthy. Why do people work so hard at jobs? Or if you're a student, why do you study so hard to do well on tests? Why? I think foundationally, you want peace. You want financial stability. You want to get the grades you want that's going to get you into the school you want or get into the job you want. Because you think that's going to limit chaos in your life. If you work hard or you study hard, it's going to bring some level of peace, some comfort, some, something that you desire. 
Why do countries go to war? Oftentimes, if you look across history, it's to restore peace. Right? World War II, why did the U.S., England, and France go to war with Germany? To restore peace in Europe. People fought for peace. I'm not personally a Star Wars fan, but I do all sports illustrations, so I want to give the Star Wars crowd a nod as well. If you watch Star Wars, and I assume that they're doing well because it's like the 57th movie that's come out, I'm pretty sure. Um, What is the main desire of the Star Wars main characters or any superhero in all the Marvel movies that come out and just keep banking bank in the box office? What's their job? What happens at the end? We get a scene of peace. They've restored peace. They've reestablished it. So you get the point. We could go on and on, but I'm just saying as a pastor, it's just not that hard to convince people of our need for peace, which is why I think it's important to say that peace is the foundational motivation of the Bible. It's the foundational motivation of the whole story of the Bible. Uh, We believe here at Grace Church, this is one story in this book. And it's compiled of 66 books written by dozens of authors and written over thousands of years but inspired by one God and it's one story of a sovereign God who is redeeming and restoring a fallen creation through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the Bible. And so every story, my story and your story and the plot line in Star Wars, the 57th movie, is to redeem and restore peace. And we find it in the scriptures. And so I want to read a story, a familiar one around this time of year. If you find yourself in a church around Christmas time, you've probably heard this passage dozens of times. And so let's read it one more time. It's Luke chapter 2. You can either follow along in a Bible or on the screen. It's going to be verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, sliding, swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. It's a familiar story around Christmas time. Most of you, I presume, know it well. An angel appeared to shepherds. And gave this great announcement. And then they go visit the newborn baby. But here's what's most fascinating about this familiar story to me. Not only does it give you the news of kind of what happened. And then the the events of the Christmas story. Or at least part of them. It actually provides us a pathway of peace. What's the pathway from chaos to peace? What's the pathway from death to life? For me, for you. 
What's the pathway from darkness to light? These verses just told us. And so I very quickly just want to show you the stops on this pathway before we light up our candles. That the first stop on the path is that the angels proclaim. So Jesus was just born in Bethlehem, Luke told us, uh, nearby these shepherds who were out in the field watching their sheep. And it seems like a normal night to the shepherds. It's a Tuesday night at work for these shepherds. And suddenly, in the middle of the night, a sky, the sky lights up all around them. And an angel appears, and Luke tells us that the glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds. Just picture that scene, right? I mean, even if we're in this room, now it's dark. If all the lights just went up all of a sudden, there would be this initial jolt. We understand the response of fear. And Luke, in doing this, connects us to the very beginning of the Bible, the first passage in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, where we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and God said, Let there be light. Here's the dilemma of Genesis 1. If you're tracking in the creation story, God said, let there be light, but then God created the sun on day four. What's up with that? How was there light before he created the sun? Well, I think we can just say there, uh, we can affirm the sun needs God. God does not need the sun, amen? And now in the same way, at the moment of Jesus' birth, the moment of a recreation, the moment of a redemption of the fallen world, now the glory of the Lord shines in the darkness once again. And the angel makes this pronouncement of the good news, of great joy for all people, not just the Jewish people, not just some people, all people. Hey, a baby was born today. A savior who is Christ the Lord. And then this angel is joined by his buddies. It's a multitude and they sing. But what do they sing? They sing glory to God. All of creation, their purpose is to glorify God. But what's the one benefit the angels sing about? What's the one thing they say to worship and glorify God for? And on earth, peace. It seems that peace is the foundational goodness of the good news. The angels proclaim, number two, the shepherd's search. Again, most of you, I imagine, have heard enough sermons or devotionals around Christmas time on the shepherds that you can get up here and talk about the shepherds. But, but to remind you, um, being a shepherd, not a sought-after job. Not a lot of applications coming to be a shepherd. They were some of the, they had some of the worst reputations amongst the Jewish people. They were a debased, low class. I honestly was thinking of an equivalent to give you of like 2019, and there is none. They were hated. They, they, they were thought to be so low, and it was mostly due to prejudice and discrimination, but and then their behavior would back some of that up. Just not good people, not seen as good people. And, and their jobs made them forever unclean to follow the Jewish law. They were also not permitted to testify in court. So, low class. And it's in the middle of the night. You know what that means? These guys are on the worst shift of the worst job. Nobody wants third shift 
of the shepherds. There's a reason why they tell you to count sheep at night when you're trying to fall asleep. All right? Not sought after. And the angel appears to the shepherds. And they're terrified. Which I think needs to be said. Our modern image of angels in the Christmas story just doesn't really line up with the Bible. Because when they're depicted often today, they are fluffy characters. They got wings. They're very pretty. There's a good chance if you have angels in your house, and we probably do too, they're probably in the bathroom, right? They're above your toddler's crib. It would be terrifying if they saw a real angel. I'm just saying, right? And, and, and it's worth noting that any time reading the Bible, no exceptions, that a human comes in contact with an angel, the initial reaction is fear. It's this feeling like, oh, it's going to end like this, huh? Like, it's it. This is it for me. I'm done. Which is probably not because they looked so terrifying, but because when a human comes in direct contact with the glory of the Lord, any time in the Bible, they think they're going to die. Again, it goes back to Genesis. The, the story of Christmas always connects us back to the beginning of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 3, where after rebelling against the Lord, Adam and Eve hid in shame when they heard the Lord walking through the garden. It was their first reaction after rebelling against them was we have to hide because shame is the most debilitating emotion in human nature. And it's the worst part about the fallen world is feeling Shame. Which is why the angel says first to him or to them, fear not. That is the best phrase for someone who's afraid. Fear not. This is good news for you. A savior has been born and it's for all people. And do you know why the angel said that? Because he's talking to shepherds. And you know what shepherds are probably prone to think, which is also what everybody else probably in Jewish culture thought? The shepherds, too far gone. They are too messed up. If this whole salvation thing's even possible, not the shepherds. No chance that God would save them. They're bottom of the bottom, man. It doesn't get worse than them. And I think that is the most important part of Luke's telling of this story. The angels came to the shepherds. They didn't come to the upper class of the Jews, right? You know why? You know why an angel did not go to the upper class of the Jews? Because they probably would not care. Our life is good, man. A savior's been born. What do I need to be saved from? We're fine. I don't need a savior. It'd be like telling a perfectly healthy person, hey, you got to go to the doctor quick. Really? Why? I'm feeling pretty good. I'll go to a doctor when I'm sick. How interesting that the angel did not show up to the who's who of the Jews. They showed up of all people to the shepherds. And to their credit, the shepherds hear it, they experience it, the angels disappear, they look at each other like, I guess we gotta go. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go see this thing that's happened. The shepherds search. Number three, Mary treasures. Here's the most important part of this passage. The shepherds get themselves to Bethlehem seemingly pretty soon after Jesus was born, which is a side note. 
um, being in the delivery room four times in the past five years, or to see four babies born in the last five years, um, I would be terrified to have that be up to me to keep that baby alive. All right, so he's coming here pretty soon after the baby's born, and all I'm saying, they better have brought coffee. Just at the least they can do. We don't know if they brought coffee, but here's what we do know. They went and shared the announcement of the good news of great joy. That this baby, this baby is the Savior, and he's the Lord, and he's going to bring peace. And then Luke tells us all who heard it. So that presumes there's other people in the room, right? Maybe Joseph's family from Bethlehem. Maybe some relatives are there. Maybe the innkeeper's there who now feels a little bit like a jerk that he didn't give this pregnant woman a place to stay. There are other people there, and they were just told they were amazed at what they heard. It was interesting. But then Luke's very careful with his wording. Verse 19 is the turning point when he writes, But Mary treasured these things as she pondered them in her heart. He is very careful to contrast the general response of the crowd. That's amazing. That's crazy. What a story. To Mary who treasured that which she heard. Here's the difference. There's a difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing about the events of Christmas and treasuring them. Nobody doubts Jesus existed. Okay, he was born. Uh, he grew up. He grew up in a town called Nazareth. He eventually generated this really large following, and then he was crucified by the Roman Empire. Um, everybody can know about that. But salvation comes when, by God's Spirit and by God's grace, you grow to treasure that which you know. You see, Christianity, it's not a blind faith. It's not, let's just get really worked up and emotional about what's happening and just kind of pretend we have to put our brains aside in order to believe. That's not Christianity. It's not anti-intellectualism. It's rooted in historical events of a God who became flesh and dwelt among us. It's about a man who sacrificed his own life, a life that he lived perfectly but he sacrificed it and laid it down, hear me, for all people, all cultures, all tongues, all nations, for those who would believe in him. This is a pondering that by God's grace turns to treasuring. This is the story of Jesus' birth. And Luke is the only one of all the gospel writers in the verses just before the ones we read. He gives this really kind of distinct detail that seems weird in the moment. He gives this distinct detail that Jesus, this baby, was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger because there's no room in the inn. Nobody else gives that detail. And you're kind of reading it like, why, why that detail? Until you get to the very end of Luke. After Jesus dies on the cross, was crucified, he was buried and there Luke says, once again, Jesus' body was wrapped in linen. Wrapped in linen and placed in a tomb that no one had been before. Here's Luke's point. It's subtle and it's powerful. That Jesus was born to die. And he was isolated at birth. And he was isolated at death. He was wrapped in linen when he came. And he was wrapped in linen when he went. Because he alone could accomplish the mission of the Father to restore peace. 
between a holy God and an unholy people. Jesus was born to die, born to rise again and bring peace with God through whom he rebelled against. And we, we cannot separate this baby in a manger at Christmas time from the rest of his life, like I think we often do. But he came to seek and save the lost. And he came to make people peacemakers in a world that is filled with chaos and darkness. And when you understand this, the lights go on. This is the pathway to peace. When pondering turns to treasuring. When God engages your mind and then stirs your heart. And by God's grace, he gives you the ability to put your faith in him and love him for now what we know. And then last, the shepherds worship. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You see, this is the singular result of one who treasures Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. That he's not just a baby in a manger, and it's not just a cute story that we can buy into for weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas with with farm animals and, and bright stars in the sky, but that he is a king who has come to deliver the death blow to death itself. That he came to be a light that no depth of darkness can overcome. And so when we talk about conversion, it's kind of a scary word for many. feels a little like, whoa, whoa. Here's what conversion means. It's primarily a conversion of worship. Because one thing that I say here all the time at Grace, if you're a regular at Grace, that I say this on repeat, everybody worships. We were created to be worshipers. The staunchest atheists worships. The spiritual but not religious worships. The one who's, who's kind of just apathetic about everything, that person worships. And you want to know how you can tell what you worship? Here's how. What's the one thing you cannot live without? The answer to that question is your God. The answer to that question is that which you worship most. And if that one thing is anything but Jesus, it's going to serve as a false God in your life that will overpromise and underdeliver. So when we talk about treasuring Christ, putting your faith and full trust in Christ, committing to follow him, that means putting him on the throne of your life. It doesn't mean you stop loving everything else. Is that Jesus moves to be the top place in your life. He's our chief aim and purpose is to glorify him, to make much of him. So, peace. It's foundational for all of us. The simple question is, does your peace align with the story of Christmas. Because the tragic irony of Christmas as we close is that many people, whether or not they're willing to admit it or can articulate it, look for peace in this Christmas season as if it's some kind of magical force that comes with this six weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And if we rely on this season to deliver peace, we will be re-disappointed every year. It's that feeling. Do you know that feeling? That feeling of Christmas night and you look around and everything's done and your just soul just sinks a little bit. 
It's the feeling when we put decorations back in the boxes. It's the feeling when the tree goes back to the curb. It's the feeling when people in New Jersey stop being nice like they were for that one stretch at the end of the year. It's that feeling when the Spotify playlist goes to what it was before Thanksgiving. This season will never bring the peace that your soul truly craves. But the Christ who shines light into the darkness will. And so the peace you want, it's not a number on the scale. It's not a number in the bank account. It's not a number of followers on Instagram who's listening to your podcast. It's not synonymous with comfort and 2.5 kids and a dog. Peace is found in a person, and his name is Jesus. And so I hope you enjoy your night tonight. I hope you enjoy your day tomorrow. I hope you enjoy the good gifts that come with this season. And when it's over, when the post-Christmas blues threaten to settle in, remember that the peace of Christ will never be put away. It will never be put to the curb. And darkness will never overcome that light once again. And so I close with the words of Paul. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you how you reveal yourself within it. We thank you for the design of your plan to send the one who makes peace with you as a baby, a story we could never make up on our own. We thank you that Mary delivered a baby that would one day deliver her. We thank you that you've paved a way for us to be reconciled with you, Lord. And for anybody in here who has not taken that step, Lord, I pray it would be clearly shown to them that they don't need to go out here and prove themselves first. That they don't have to go make themselves right before they can be in right standing with you. But that by your grace, by putting their faith in you and repenting of their sin, Lord, that that can be true for them, Lord. That the peace that our soul crave and have craved can be made right, Lord, through faith in you, Lord. Let that be true for everybody in this room tonight, Lord. Let it be the best Christmas we've ever experienced because of this truth. And Father, let us now live lives of courage, knowing that peace has come with you and that peace will be made final one day because more is yet to come. And it's in your name we pray, amen.